how can you be part of a religious community that straight up sometimes it feels like the church is trying to hold the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the why are they so obsessed with keep trying to get answers i would never be a part of a church that is not welcoming the church is the most vocal political voice against some churches still the one they claim that worship was the actual the church seems to be stuck in their ways when the rest of the like, culture how is that actually It seems like so much of the church is more concerned with being a good anti-critical than they are being homophobic, too narrow, judgmental, disconnected from what is truly happening in the real world. <sighs> the church needs therapy. Welcome to the newest episode of The Church Needs Therapy. And today feels special and it feels different and it feels almost unfamiliar again because I really haven't prepared a teaching or my own podcast for a while. You know, the an update now, it's August 21st, Sunday night when I'm recording this. So that means my book, The Making of a Mystic, which you ha- if you have not picked that up, pick that book up. Read it because I guarantee you will love it. And if you've read it and you say, man, I just can't get enough of Kevin, then guess what? The audio book was released, I don't know, three, four weeks ago, maybe I kind of forget. But now the audio book is up, which has me reading the entire thing. So if you haven't gotten that and you're interested, please go get that. And besides my book coming out and sort of that wave coming and going, there's a big buildup. There's a couple events I did. I actually have one more event in New York that I'm doing in about three weeks for it. It's about the book, but it's kind of more just connecting with other writers and leaders. But yeah, you know, you ride this wave and there's buildup and then you're in it and then it goes and the hype and the wave passes. But that's okay when you work on a project because the substance of the work is not the hype. The substance of the work is not the parties you do. The substance of the work is people actually reading, engaging, and taking in that which you are giving. So for me, it's, I mean, the part, the parties I had were great and it's fun building up to it and doing so many podcasts, but it is nice to relax and chill after to focus on the next things you're working on and to just know that people are now sitting with reading and taking in the actual work that you're giving because for me that is actually what it's about and on top of that I think the last four episodes I've had guests on here great guests that you know I'm so happy to have on so I hope you've been enjoying those if you've been listening in and so now this is the first teaching I feel like I've prepared in a while you know after closing down imagine May 29th and yeah I prepared some thoughts for the book release events I I did and a friend of mine who's a pastor in LA Dwight Dr. Dwight Radcliffe shout out to him at the message center in LA he asked me to come and It was more of a dialogue with him on a Sunday with his church, which was great. But I really haven't prepared anything beginning to end for a while. So even before I started recording this, it was just this interesting 
experience and feeling of something you do for so long, Sunday after Sunday that you get used to, it's you step away from it for a while and you return and it's this, oh, I haven't like, oh, I forgot every move that I would do or the steps to prepare. Oh, yeah, I haven't done this for a while. And even though I don't spend nearly as much time on this as I would on a sermon that I would, you know, essentially memorize or at least put in my mind. It's uh, it's good to be back. It's good to be doing this again. It's good to reconnect with a part of your vocation and your gifting. So with that said, the thought that led the, the catalyst for this initial, the initial energy of this podcast is this sense of everything just feels so serious. Have you ever thought that before? Have you ever recognized that in, in the energy and the zeitgeist around you and social media and the news? And it's like, man, sometimes everything just feels so serious, right? Every opinion is so intense and, and, and intensely held. It's like sometimes we're just waiting for the next hot button issue in the news cycle to be angry about. Every idea is that's discussed is so heavy, right? I, I even over the past two and a half years, I think about the tragedy of how many relationships were fractured or seemingly broken beyond repair over the last two and a half years because of the pandemic, right? The pandemic and what's initially happening and it was leading into the election. So there's Trump and Biden and then we have the murder of George Floyd by police and the social uprising and all of the intense conversations and exchanges online that happen from that. Then it's vaccines and it's opening up and it's masks. And, you know, ha have you had that? Have you had any relationships end or change significantly from the last two and a half years? Right. Or. I feel like there's some relationships where if they didn't end, it's the kind of thing where if we saw each other in public, it would be kind of weird or slightly triggering for both of us. Right. You have those things where I've seen the things that they've said that I think are insane and ridiculous and ignorant. And then they th see they have seen the things that I've written or said that they see as dangerous or liberal or whatever it is. And, you know, if we saw each other, we both play it off. But there would just be that, you know, that weird tension just beneath the surface that neither one talks about, but is there. But we're, we're both trying to act like it's not because we're trying to be normal. Yeah. Do you have any of those? Can you think of people where if you saw them, it's not that you hate them, but you know it would just be kind of awkward and weird because of the how heavy and serious things have felt for so long. You know, everything sometimes just feels so serious. It makes me think of old Fox News pundits like Bill O'Reilly. Like for me, my reference point for Fox News is probably still Bill O'Reilly and you know Sean Hannity, who I think is who I know is still there, and I know O'Reilly's gone or. Glenn, I can't even remember his last name, but I just don't watch Fox News. I just see clips when they come up. But, you know, I remember <laughs> when you wa you would watch Fox News back in the day, 
they would frame questions sometimes, especially Bill O'Reilly. It's like you frame a question. It's like, do you agree with me or do you hate America? And it's like, really? Are you sure those are the only two options? You know, and in the midst of this sense of, man, everything just feels so serious. One of my best friends, Larry, one of my fellow pilgrims on this spiritual journey that we're on following this way of Jesus. This thing he's, I love this thing he says about social media and communication and basically all the things I'm talking about. And you know what, you know what he says that I think is so funny? He says, everyone swears they're the goddamn president. (laughs) Which for me is so funny. You know, it's, Oh, like something happened or I made a mistake. Now I'm supposed to make a public statement about this to who? To your constituents, to your audience, to all of the viewers that watch you all the time. You know, it's like, you know, he's like, gosh, everyone just swears what that the world revolves around. That Everybody's watching them or cares every move they make and. Sometimes I can step back and think something like, man, everything just feels so serious and heavy and intense all of the time. So let's hold that thought and then come back to it. Okay, and we'll come back. The great living mystic Mirabai Star says, mystics see through a lens of paradox, dazzling darkness, beautiful wound, the longing that is the remedy for for longing. Right? So paradox is when two seemingly opposite things are held together in what I would call this creative and co-enacting space. And paradox is that which holds together this liberated and elevated vision of the mystics. Because when you get to the depths of life, you always come face to face with paradox. So Star talks about a dazzling darkness, a beautiful wound, or I love this, the longing that is the remedy for longing. Those statements don't make sense to the logical mind. They don't make sense to your everyday ego, egoic operating system or ego management system. Right? Paradox short circuits our neat categories and draws us beyond them to something wider and beneath them to something deeper. Those are all paradoxes that speak to some of the depths of what it means to be human. And I can add to this list, and maybe you could too, right? You know, in emptiness, you discover fullness, and in fullness, you will experience emptiness. That's a paradox, right? With In nothingness, you'll discover everything, but with everything, you'll experience nothing. That's a paradox, or even the idea of letting go is what is going to make you feel secure. It's a paradox. The logical mind says, no, what's going to make you feel secure or in control is taking control. And yet the wisdom of the mystics and the paradox says, no, it's actually letting go of the need to hold on for the sake of control that is actually somehow mysteriously going to help you feel the safety that you desired from the control. So now to return to the initial idea that everything is so serious, here is what I would say since we're talking about paradoxes. The mystic takes life absolutely seriously and yet not seriously at all. 
right? Of course, life is serious. It's just not that serious. Now, let me give you a few thoughts on this. One, life is that serious, right? How many, you don't have to look far in your own life, in your relational sort of atmosphere, in the culture around you, in our state, in our country, in our nation, in our planet, in the universe. You can keep zooming out, but you don't have to look far to know, man, life really is serious and heavy though, right? Just think about friends, family members you have who struggle with addiction, right? Or maybe the maybe a, a different kind of, a, a unique kind of addiction that you've struggled with. Right, some of my best friends from high school got very strung out on serious drugs. I've had friends, close friends, who ended up in jail, who are in jail right now, you know, who I've had, you know, friends who, multiple friends who have been shot. You know, addiction is scary because life is serious, right? Because of the work. I did for years between the church and the LGBTQ community, I can think that at any given point, there are so many LGBTQ kids that are coming to terms with their sexuality and terrified to come out, you know, losing sleep, extreme anxiety, physical illness, fear of abandonment. So many young people and adults who even think about coming out, struggle and wrestle with the consequences of what could happen if they ever do. And when you're around, when you have friends and people you care about sharing these stories, you know life is serious, right? It's 2022, we still live in a culture where it is not safe to be black in America. Like, think about that. Not only are black people living in a system that has been leveraged against them from the origins of our country, they are still living in a place that is not safe for them in the same way it is safe for someone who looks like me. And that lack of feeling safe, that element of fear that comes with that, the terror that can come with that has serious social, relational psychological and emotional implications for everybody who is living in this environment who is black, right? When you recognize the reality of institutionalized white supremacy and what it does in the atmosphere to people who the system is not built for, you know that life is serious, right? And I could go on, but the point that I'm making is that me saying everything is taken so seriously or saying the mystic doesn't really take things so seriously is not a denial of how serious all of this is. Of course not. I mean, I love that the poet Mary Oliver wrote, it is a serious thing just to be alive on this fresh morning in the broken world, right? It is serious. It is fragile. It is real. It is intense. Yes, it is all of that. Now, let's talk a little bit about why it's not so serious. One of the first things anyone ever asked me to write, it was for a church planning network called V3 that was run by some good friends of mine, J.R. Woodward and Dan White Jr., who I'm still connected with and friends with today, guys who I'm really grateful for. 
They asked me to write for a blog a long time ago, and I think it might have been the first or second thing I ever wrote, like ever as an adult besides being in grad school. And I wrote this post for them that was titled, No One in Kyrgyzstan Cares About Your Church. Right? So the first thing I, I want to say to church planners and young pastors, even as I was one myself at the time, was, look, no one in Kyrgyzstan cares about your church. You may have never even heard of the country Kyrgyzstan. You may have never, not even known that was a real country. You probably thought that's where Borat was from, and it wasn't even real. It was fictional. No, Kyrgyzstan is an actual country. And when I said that, I don't even remember exactly what I wrote, but I know myself and I'm sure a part of the, the heart of that is just take the pressure off. Everybody's not watching you. Everybody's not counting on you. Everybody's not waiting for you to fail. Everybody's not analyzing you. Everybody's not judging you. Like no one in Kyrgyzstan has ever heard of you or your work or anything that you feel is the center of the universe. And for me, it's like, it just lets out some of the air that seems to fill up and build pressure within us, right? It's, it's all not so serious, right? There's roughly 7 billion people on earth right now. 7 billion people. Since I was a teenager or when I was younger, I would think just thinking about the reality that each individual has an uninterrupted stream of consciousness just completely freaks me out and blows me away. Think about all the fears you've had, the internal dramas, things that felt like cataclysmic events, worries that you have replayed again and again, right? Just the fact that you're thinking all the time Knowing that someone else has their own version of that is for some reason just insane to me. Like they have, their experience of life is this uninterrupted stream in the same way mine is, but it's different. Oh, and it's not just one other person, it's 7 billion other people who are having all of these things they're working through and thinking about all the time. There is so much happening in this world all the time. And to me, this has the power to relativize so much of the weight of your own experience. And by the way, not only are there 7 billion people on earth right now, it is estimated that, that there have been 110 billion human beings on this earth historically. You know, so there's also just that of everybody has a lot going on. And it can so easily feel like you're the linchpin, the center, the crux of all of this. And to me, the mystical vision of collapsing more and more into the infinite flowing presence of God is this steady and sacred and hilarious reminder that you're just a part of this whole thing. You know, there's a moment when you're a pastor, like right before everybody starts showing up on a Sunday and you know, you showed up early and you help set up and people are sound checking and people are setting up chairs and troubleshooting. If you have to like those moments are for me, not easy. It's 
you know, I'm you're holding space, you're working on your teaching. There's a lot going on in those moments. And yet when all of that's over and it's like, okay, we're ready to go. People are going to start showing up in 10 minutes. Usually you have a moment, you circle up and then you, maybe the pastor or somebody gives a little talk, prepares people's hearts, you pray together, and then we enter into the moment together. And usually I would say for a lot of churches, it's very common where this is the moment where someone like the pastor gets people pumped up, right? It's like, come on, y'all. This is the best Sunday ever. Can you believe it? Jesus is in the house with us. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Right. I've even heard someone like truly refer to their Sunday as the Super Bowl. Like this regular Sunday is the Super Bowl. I'm like, so are you saying you're going to put on a show and end up with a lot of people's money? Is that why it's a Super Bowl? No, Sunday is the Super Bowl. And while I'm sure I was aware of this impulse to pump people up, there is this version of, here's a version of what I would say to people quite a bit, especially in the beginning. I would say, look, we are just one church on one small island, on one island chain. And then I was like, I would keep zooming out in one state, in one nation, on one planet, in this large universe until we zoom out all the way until we recognize that we are all tiptoeing on the edge of nothingness in this vast expanding universe, right? That's how I would get people pumped up. I would create an existential crisis, but I would zoom out all the way. And then I would start to zoom back into where we are and say something like, and yet somehow this is the most sacred work we can be doing. Somehow the poem in Genesis 1 reveals to us that we have been entrusted with the growth and development of this world. Somehow these scriptures dare to refer to us as the body of Christ. Somehow we see a vision of the spirit unfolding in us, through us, and as us in this mysterious and beautiful reality. See, thinking about being just one person in a sea of seven billion or zooming out on a cosmic scale and getting a glimpse of the speck that we are can be deflating or can increase the cynicism of those who keep saying that nothing matters. But it was as if this whole time for me, zooming out that far And seeing from that altitude while still being grounded in the sacredness of our work is not discouraging. It's liberating. It's freeing. It's beautiful. And to me, I think it's hilarious. It's like you're you're on the inside of this cosmic joke. Not that things aren't serious, but it's also like a wink from the creator of all of this saying, but at the same time remember who you are and where you are right in from that moment of everything is serious and yet not seriously at all zooming out then zooming back in for me it has the ability to take the pressure off and remind you of your power at the same time right that is 
that is what happens when you enter into the, the, the substance of the paradox of the mystic takes life seriously and yet not seriously at all. It takes the pressure off and reminds you of your power at the same time. Here's another thing it does. It reminds you that this isn't about you, but it involves you. Some people say this isn't about you. There's a cynical, it doesn't matter. Some people live as if everything is contingent upon how much you produce today. No, those are both extremes. No, this isn't about you, but it involves you, right? Or I would say like this, there's this gift of knowing you're not the point of all of this, but you are a part of all of this. And the freedom lies in that creative tension of both of those. Or I could say this, it shows us, like you zoom out that far, it's almost, your contribution is almost irrelevant. Like 110 billion people historically, just you, no one in Kyrgyzstan cares about your church, I could go on. Your contribution, when you zoom out that far, feels almost irrelevant. And yet... As followers of Jesus who are taking this story and what we're called to seriously, it's the most relevant thing at the same time because God has entrusted you to be a part of making a world, right? I would also like, to me, these are just different thoughts and ideas that come from this. Here's another one. Most people do not care about what you do. They just don't. Most people don't care about what you do, but some people do care. And to me, that's amazing that some people really care and listen and receive and and are gifted because of your contribution. Most people don't care. They don't take the pressure off, but also remember the power you have because some people do care and are affected by your presence. And that is amazing. Another idea is this universe will not collapse without you. But people are still counting on you. See, again, the universe will not collapse without you, but people are still counting on you because of the power you have as a part of the body of Christ to to work for justice, to work for liberation, to love, to care, to be present, etc., and that's why you can zoom all the way out and be like, it doesn't really matter. And then you zoom back in, you're like, but it actually does. So does that initial paradox resonate more now? Right? The mystic takes life seriously and yet not seriously at all. That is a paradox that to me enables us to have all of the conversations, speak our truth, organize work, be present, fight for the future, fight for the future of humanity, provide hope, all of those things. But we don't do it as if it's all on us. We don't do it as if the outcomes of it are the things that are going to, no, it's it's offering, not outcomes, right? It's contribution, not control. It's recognizing my power while taking the pressure off. It's both always at the same time. And I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I'm going to read 
something kind of short right now. And it may, may or may not be a small unedited chunk from perhaps a future book that I may or may not be announcing soon if I can be more vague and ridiculous with how I say that. And it's not directly about this, but to me it does, it also flows in the same sort of stream of thought that I'm getting at here. So here's what I would say. The first thing we need to let go of while pursuing justice and working for change is the need for things to change, which is perhaps not what you were expecting me to begin with. And maybe it initially seems counterintuitive or contradictory. You might even think it doesn't make sense, but stay with me. See, there is a paradox and now another paradox. There is a paradox at the heart of this work that not only empowers us to work for justice, but simultaneously liberates us to live with joy. And this paradox is that letting go of the need for things to change is what places you in the best possible situation to create the change you desire and to do so in a way that continuously changes you. That's why I would say, Moving forward is what inspires you to change the moment, but letting go is what allows the moment to change you. And in the ongoing fight for justice, we need both. For further clarity, when I write or when I speak about letting go of the need for things to change, what I am referring to is the need of the ego for any social circumstances to change in order to be okay. See, anytime our ego or separate self demands or requires a specific outcome as a condition for happiness or peace, we give away our power and deny spirit the power to be our unconditional source of life. This is why when speaking of the desire to see people around us change, while letting go of the need for them to change, the great Richard Rohr writes, ironically, We are more than ever before in a position to change people, but we do not need to. And that makes all the difference. All the difference. Not needing change is what makes all the difference while fighting for a change. Let's assume this is not only true of desiring to see individuals change, but also of the desire to see and work towards the change of systems of injustice as well. What is the critical difference that not needing to change people or systems makes in our life while we are giving our lives to create this very change? Well, the difference is the primary determiner of whether or not we are going to experience anger or acceptance, frustration or freedom, and whether or not we are going to be able to flow with the spirit and the sacredness of the struggle itself, right? I want to say it again. There's the sacredness of being in the struggle itself. Now, this is why the smiles and silliness of the Dalai Lama are so revolutionary. This is why the giggles and playfulness of Desmond Tutu are such powerful personal and political acts. See, in his brilliant book, The Book of Joy, Lasting Happiness in a Changing World, Douglas Abrams profiles the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu with an emphasis on how to live with joy. Now think about this. 
These are men who have lived under death threat for years of their lives and who have seen countless people they have loved killed during their struggle for justice and work for change. The Dalai Lama even got kicked out and exiled from his own country. For perspective, I got banned from one Christian college campus here in Hawaii, and it hurt me. Right? I've never told that story fully, and I, maybe I never will because it's for whatever for those personal reasons and however it went down. But when I came out here to Hawaii, I got hired to teach at a Christian college. I taught for one semester. Not only did I not come back to teach, but I was basically banned from the campus. There's a long story there. But I was hurt getting kicked out of one college campus. The Dalai Lama got kicked out of China. Like, uh, he got kicked out of a country. These two compassionate men have faced the possibility of having their own lives taken from them. Right? The same people they squeezed tightly and hugged out of love and solidarity during the struggle They've had to let go of and entrust to the mystery of death. They have known every form of frustration, disappointment, and heartbreak as a result of their commitment to justice. Side note, back to the thing, life is serious, and these two men know that. And yet when they see each other, they giggle, they tell inappropriate stories, and they interrupt interviews because they're always tickling each other. That freedom, that joy, that lightness, that is the difference Roar speaks of when he talks about how letting go of the need for change makes all the difference. And I am convinced that letting go in the middle stages of your life is what allows you to laugh during the later stages of your life. So to end this, What is really the engine? What are the things within me that I want to give to people when I take the time to prepare this? It's just me saying I don't want people who are so focused on fixing the world to remain unable to enjoy the world. Right? For my driven, my ambitious, my helpers, everybody. I don't want people. I don't want. It's not a whole life when you are so focused on fixing the world and helping others that you remain unable to enjoy the world right another thing when i say everything's so serious sometimes it's just like it's okay to relax you know sometimes when i when i spend time in silence i always start with this breathing exercise that i've done for for so long and it's you know probably takes me about eight ish eight to nine minutes and Sometimes at some point in the breathing, I will, as I'm starting to be so grounded, present, aligned in my body, heart and mind, I can actually feel the muscles in my face. Like I'm kind of like thinking about it right now, like relaxing. I can feel the muscles in my face relaxing when I breathe, right? It's okay to relax. You ever pay attention. Can you, you ever... Take the time to let the muscles in your face relax. You ever notice that you're tense and you didn't realize it? Well, it's okay to relax. 
And also, you can be committed to work for justice, for change, for liberation. You can be prophetic. You can speak that truth. You can take all of this so seriously and still have joy. It's about justice and joy, right? It's about, it's about holding people in power accountable and our own peace. It's both. Which is why I would end with how I say like, when I talk about the mystics, it's true for all of us. You can take your work seriously without taking everything so seriously. 